Hello and welcome to the Niche Podcast for Friday, May 24th, 2013. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we're here to talk about building apps that run everywhere. This week, we talk about our upcoming screencast episode, performance problems with Knockout JS, and the massive implications of Google's recent announcements at the I.O. conference. Please stay tuned. The Niche Podcast is next. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I feel so naked. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what's going on? You got a vacation coming up? Uh, I got a I got a mini vacation coming up, and I'm I'm sitting here. I got a big pile of presents to wrap. Is this like a big family, uh, like visiting Canadian family trip, or is no? It just no, you guys? that's that's in August. This is just. This is well. Kira's. We're doing Kira's birthday party this weekend, and then we're just going away for a couple of days. Oh, uh, okay. Just, just the three of us. Yeah, I thought it was just a like immediate family thing. Yeah. Otherwise, I would have expected an invitation. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise. <laughs> you're coming. You're coming to the Rockies with us, aren't you? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got so much free time right now. Yeah. <laughs> um. Let's see. Where should, where should we start? I guess uh, we should start with housekeeping. Be good. Yeah, just some a couple things. Uh, simple. First, we've got. I don't know if you've noticed, dear listener or Kelly, I've uh, been slowly posting transcripts to the episodes. And really, I don't really. I, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't really expect people to read the transcripts. But it makes it really, really easy to search for old episodes where you maybe. Um, you maybe remember some, you know, a particular comment or something, and you can't. You have no idea. This happens to me frequently. Where <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I do that all the time. Yeah, like I, I can specifically remember a conversation, but there's zero chance of knowing what episode it was in. So, <laughs> transcripts are are really more about indexing the episodes than actually creating blog posts for people to read. But you could certainly do that as well. Cool. So then the other thing with housekeeping is uh, uh, plans for the screencast episode. Uh, We've been talking about it. It's a little bit logistically how we're going to do it. So we're thinking we'll set it up for episode 60 because that's coming up fast. This is, I think, 58. Yeah, that'll give us a, a little more time to get things set up technically. Right, yeah. So, dear listener, um, you still have time to give us feedback about, you know, if you think it, it'd be a good idea, what you would like, like format-wise. So, you know, Kelly, tell me what you think. But um, I've done pair programming in the past. And it's super amazing. It's like amazing training experience for the person who's the weaker developer. So if you have so so one possible approach would be for us to do a screen share of me, and then you basically tell me how to to um, to do what it is that we're planning to do, mm-hmm. uh, and that would be so. That's one way to. I don't think that it'll actually work for this. That's a great way to train people. So if you manage developers or if you if you work with another developer and maybe you're strong at something and the other one's strong at something else, it's the most unbelievably um, productive training experience to have the weaker person at the keyboard and the other person talking them through how to do something. And within like an hour or two, the person at the keyboard will will be like 10 times better at whatever the thing is. It's amazing, but it is a little bit. Uh, it's a little bit uh, tooth pulling. Yep, tedious. It's a little tedious, right? But 
it, but at the end of the day, you end up with a, a much better trained developer. That's not really what we're shooting for here, so I don't think a pure pair programming thing is, is the best approach. So probably uh, it would make more sense for, and this is what we talked about first, for Kelly to sort of go through the process of building uh, a Rails API, which is what we're talking about, uh, setting up a, a, an API with Rails, um, and then me kind of like peanut gallery, you know, heckling you as you go. <laughs> so like, 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 wait a second, how do you set up your dev environment? Uh, what, what was that thing you just ran? Uh, what was that thing you just skipped over? And, and kind of just sort of keep you honest as you go through it. And then uh, I think it'll go a lot faster, be a lot more fun for both of us. And probably from the listener standpoint, um, a nice balance of of like speed and education because it would probably be more educational if we did it the other way, but it would be so painful <laughs> for everybody involved. It, it would it would take a long time to get through. Yeah, it would be brutal. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, so dear listener, please uh, send your thoughts on the subject to us through the niche website uh, or on Twitter. Best way to get in touch with us. Um, cool. So is that that? Uh, I think so. All right. So that's housekeeping. Um, bug report. We were talking about Angular a little bit this week, and uh, and that caused you to mention to me that you've been having some trouble with Knockout. Uh, yeah, I just kind of hit a wall with Knockout in terms of performance. Mm, that's such a bummer. Yeah, and... <laughs> uh, I'm I'm still using it, but what I ended up doing is I knockout can have several different types of bindings. It can bind to various various DOM interactions or it can bind to changes in variables. And um so I'm, basically I'm still still using knockout to kind of kind of monitor my some of my variables and update the DOM accordingly when those are when those are changed by by other bits of JavaScript. But all of the um all the interactions I had in there for tap and swipe and scroll and all that stuff, I kind of, I kind of uh, removed the knockout bindings and and I'm doing all that with jQuery now. Mm. God, that's frustrating. It it was all just, I mean, it was it was too much. Um, the the app is a lot. It's well, the app is a lot bigger now than it was when I started with it. So it's gonna it's grown quite a bit, and. Um, you know, when when the app was small, it was it was great, but when you're when you're talking about rendering a couple of hundred items on a page as opposed to twenty, mm-hmm. there's a there's just yeah. I mean, I was just I was just hitting some performance issues, and and I did some some um, some googling, of course, to try and find a couple of ways to fix it, and I I found a few articles, uh, people doing various things, but overall, it seems like seems like performance is the big the the big downside to knockout which was really kind of disappointing yeah i mean that's that's the thing with frameworks right it's like yeah especially f- like front-end web frameworks yeah if if you were doing something small it'd be great yeah but if you're doing something small you probably don't need it yeah. <laughs> it's like it's so frustrating and and uh you know who i mean did you do you feel like you looked into it enough to say that there was that it wasn't the way that you set it up and there was really no way to do it with knockout because of the, the, the nature of the app or is it possible that 
it's not some intrinsic limitation. Like, did you, were there tons of people being like, yeah, knockout performance stinks if the Dom gets over some size or. Yeah, there were, I found several different articles. People had, had various different performance issues with knockout and, and some of it, I was able to sort of restructure the way I was doing things and, and make improvements. But yeah, the, the main issue I ran into is just when, when the, the size of the Dom reaches a certain point, I just performance wasn't, was not good. Mm. So I, I have a kind of similar, and there's, it's not really like it, it you know, <laughs> it's when you have a bug report, it's awesome to be like, and then I checked this box and everything was fixed. Yeah, <laughs> This isn't one of those bug reports. But uh, I had a similar issue that I have not resolved yet with um, uh, working on a, a, an image gallery, like a carousel that, that swipes back and forth and it uses CSS transitions to kind of create an animation effect. Uh, and it, it needs to work on touch devices and desktop devices. And it works great on the desktop, but on touch, it's, it's, it's bizarrely laggy. Like you do the swipe and there's this like delay, long delay, like two second delay. And then the animation happens perfectly, but two seconds late, (laughs) (laughs) you know, which, which is, I guess, better than, I don't know. It's, it's not good. And so looking into it, you know, and, and, and the issue, so here I'm kind of trying to defend knockout in a, a little bit because it, because, um, there's just a lot going on with front end stuff. And this yeah. is something that's not, there's no framework. I'm, I didn't use any framework. I wrote a couple hundred lines of JavaScript to, to make this work. And it works great on when the DOM is small. And then when the DOM is big, it, it's basically unusable. So I was tearing apart things to, um, to, you know, see if there was, I could isolate the issue because it was really weird. And, uh, and found that, if I removed the overall CSS, so the, the page is like wicked long. Mm-hmm. It's super long. It's like the, 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 it's basically the home page for a big, huge blog that has like, you know, 10 pounds of crap jammed in a five pound bag. There's like way too much stuff going on. And so I was like, oh, but it's, it's the DOM. There's just too much in the DOM. So I, I chopped the page down to basically just the carousel, worked like a charm. And I was like, mm-hmm. all right, so now I'm going to try and figure out what the cutoff is where the DOM becomes unusably sized. And in the process of doing that, I removed the, um, the overall CSS file for the page and just left in the CSS for the carousel. Mm-hmm. And as I added back in the HTML, you know, the DOM got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. The performance issue never came back. Interesting. Yeah. So then I started looking at the CSS, which I didn't write, and there's tons of really advanced CSS selectors uh, mm-hmm. in the CSS. And there's also a ton of, um, of notoriously processor-intensive CSS rules. So things like opacity or rounded corners or um, box shadow, anything that forces the browser to composite multiple layers and calculate a, a color value for a particular pixel, mm-hmm. uh, alpha channels and RGBA, uh, any of that stuff, it just piles up or gradients. That's another thing, creating images on the fly. Uh, all that stuff is CSS. And when you combine like a large DOM with uh, some the more processor intensive CSS, all of a sudden you get like the browser chokes. Uh, so it's, you know, uh, 
the solution is it's like your solution was like <laughs> it's not a, yeah. there's no way to check a box to fix it it's like yeah you either have to um you know remove stuff from the either remove stuff from the dom or uh make somehow make your page smaller yeah or remove you know see if you can find some particular particularly egregious performance hog like sibling selectors or descendant selectors or uh or the other stuff i listed off there's it's css has gotten so so powerful that you can really shoot yourself in the foot with it these days yeah that's that's interesting and i may have to i may have to go back and and examine what i was doing there because it might um i may be blaming knockout for the performance when the dom got large but it might not all be knockout it might just be that the the real-time rendering of the dom that knockout was doing combined with the the css was was causing my issue there and because what i what i ended up doing is i ended up ended up removing a lot of a lot of DOM elements that were getting rendered automatically initially and then just kind of kind of creating them on the fly as they were needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've seen, from what you, you know, when you mentioned like, like lots of items, hundreds of items in a list, if you are, if, I don't know how, I don't know really anything about Knockout except for what it is, but if, but I do know that when, just when you're doing a regular JavaScript programming, um, if you have like arbitrary length lists like that, mm-hmm. attaching event listeners to the individual items is death. And the way to do it is to attach listeners to the container of the items. Yeah. And listen for uh, listen for the listen for the events. Wait for them to bubble up. So you really have one listener for any number, you know, a thousand items. Yeah. Uh, and then figure out which item it was by inspecting the event from the parent element. Yeah, that that could easily have been a, a contributing factor too, because knockout knockout is gonna gonna bind those events to each item. Like say you have a tap item bound to a list element, it's gonna it's gonna bind it to each each list item that it renders. So Yeah, which is which I would be surprised if, if it was sophisticated enough to not do that. You know? Yeah, I just, I just don't think it's the way it's designed. So Right. Yeah, dele- event delegation is like a key performance tuning approach yeah whereas that's that's exactly the approach i'm taking when i switched everything to jquery yeah you just listen like like i put i'm very common for me to attach all of my listeners to the body basically and and just like when uh an event bubbles up just be like oh a tap you know a, a tap happened what what did it happen on right and really, I just have all my listeners attached to one place. It makes it really easy to, uh, for me, it makes it really easy to maintain the code. And, and there's just one place to look for all of the, all the interactions. You know, you don't have these listeners all like littered all over the DOM. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you have to do it because it's tough to figure out what actually got interacted with. Uh, it gets complicated, but anyway, but that's not, that's not even what we're going to talk about today. Uh, google io was i guess last week and there are just so many announcements that that have a clear and imminent impact on the future of computing that uh it just can't be ignored uh so there are a few different things that came out of it there were tons of announcements um all sorts of there's some sexy things with maps and with uh auto awesome for your images <laughs> <laughs> and 
it, and that's not really the, you know, emailing money to people. You can now like send money via Gmail. There's like all kinds of sort of end user product features that were announced. Yeah, the the money sending could actually have a huge impact. Yeah, it's basically. I mean, it's basically PayPal. Like Google is like directly attacking PayPal with that. And it's yeah. it's a huge big deal for sure. Uh, you know, so stuff like that it is definitely game changing for. Uh, different industries they you know their music they basically announced a spotify competitor all that stuff is sort of end user product type Mm -hmm. stuff the things that really blew my mind um were more around the uh the kind of new ways to interact with a computing device which are like revolutionary as far as I'm concerned. And there are three in particular that I, th- I thought were worth mentioning. Google Glass, of course. Yes. Uh, there's some announcements around that. Um, then there's uh, Google Voice Search on the desktop, which which I don't know if, I was, if I've been running like a developer version of Chrome. I think I am. But I've had this for a long time. Uh, but they've added something called Hot Words, <laughs> <laughs> which is safe for work, believe it or not. <laughs> and uh, and as and a lot of people are sort of ragging on this as being gimmicky, but I want to talk about that. And then the last one is Google Now, and I have recently I've been an, using an iPhone for as my main phone for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, uh, I was a Nexus One. I really liked Android. I was running two point three. It was okay. Then I switched back to iPhone for some reason that I can't remember. Oh, for international. So when I was traveling internationally, the iPhone was better. And and finally, I got rid of the iPhone, and I got a Nexus 4 on AT&T so I can travel with it. And this thing is, like, life-alteringly awesome. It's Really? Oh, my God. It is, like, this, you know, so big difference from the last time I was using an Android as my main phone, because now we're up to, uh, uh, it's a Jelly Bean 4.2. Yeah. And uh, now it has Google Now. The whole entire user interface is super polished now. Very, very nice. Uh, you can get to everything from anywhere. It's like, I feel like I have superpowers when I'm using this phone. Yeah, it's. I really like the, the, the latest version of Android. I was I was telling you earlier, I was looking at um, updating, updating Android on one of my phones um, for, for my dad to use. And as I was doing that this evening, I was messing around with it. I was like, oh, I kind of like this better than my iPhone. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it is like... And I mean, I... I yeah, I... I, I lost my ability to speak. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, have, I have it on my Nexus 7 tablet, and I, I use the tablet all the time. I just... I guess I just never thought of it in the, the, the phone context. <laughs> yeah. Because I've been using the iPhone for so long. Yeah. So, anyway... So uh, getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. The point is that, that I've been using Google Now, finally. I've been reading about Google Now. I tried Google Now on the iPhone. It seemed cool, but it wasn't, in da- I, I wasn't, wasn't like using it on a daily basis. And now that I am, it's spooky how good it is. Really? Like, to the point where I'm like, I, I've been creeped out on two occasions. <laughs> For real. It's, it is... Super helpful, but then it gets to the point where it's so helpful, you're like, whoa, 
when, when Google now know? pops up and says Cooper needs a diaper change. Yeah, it, it <laughs> might as well. It, it's only slightly less radical than that. It, like, it, like if it said duck, <laughs> it would only <laughs> be duck. a little weirder. So, and it's one of those things where, like, it was something so useful that it over, it over, uh, sort of over, not overwhelmed, overruled the spookiness. <laughs> I was like, wow, that was spooky, but damn, am I glad it just did that, <laughs> you know? So, anyway, so we'll, we'll get to that too, but, um, yeah, I think, I think I had that happen once. I had the, um, I had the, I had the next seven in the car with me. And um, we were traveling. Of course, it's just, you know, the version I have is Wi-Fi only. Back when I bought it, Wi-Fi only was all they had. And and I pulled it up, and, and I accidentally opened um, Google Now, because you swipe up from the bottom, and, and Google Now comes up. And I accidentally did that, and it's like, you're 7.38 miles from home. <laughs> like, um, I've, I've never told you where home was. You have no internet connection. <laughs> And yet, <laughs> you're very accurate. Right. What's going on here? <laughs> yeah. It's super crazy. Yeah. So, I, I guess we can sort of attack this from any direction. But since we're talking about now, we might as well keep on that one. The, the thing about Google, like Google is collecting information from so many places in everyone's lives now that they can that it takes it to like this new level. It's almost like, it's almost like, um, it's more than the sum of the parts, you know? So there, I'm guessing like from the example you just gave, I'm guessing that your Wi-Fi was on and even though it wasn't connected to anything, they were using probably Skyhook or something similar or the street, the, the street view cars, Wi-Fi information to triangulate where you were based on open <laughs> Wi-Fi where you were or even closed Wi-Fi where you were. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and you take that, you know, it does. It does not doesn't have GPS, but it can figure out where you are based on some other way. Like it just finds a way to figure out a piece of information. And uh, like with me, we were, it was similar. It was like we were we were um, leaving the house. We were planning to go to this uh, garden center, and it was like I open up the phone. I literally opened up the phone to search for directions and uh and it, like I I opened up the phone and the map was right there. <laughs> I've literally never searched I I must have searched for it before or maybe and so I was like I got chills actually and I was like I said to Erica I'm like it's it knows where we're going. <laughs> like think about all of the like you're leaving your house. All of the places you go in a given day or a given month, how could it possibly have guessed that we were going to that yeah. store right then? Yeah. <laughs> it could have given me directions to a million places. So then, we're, so we're like thinking, like, she's like, did you put it in your calendar? Because I use Google for everything. Yeah. Did you put it in your calendar? I'm like, I checked, no. Did... You know, and then I'm like, did we email about it? Like, is it, I'm sure it's reading Gmail. Yeah. I think they've openly said that it's reading your, G yeah, they have openly said it's reading your Gmail to like look for things like flight announcements, you know, for upcoming trips that you have and stuff like that. And I'm like, I can't, 
like maybe I Googled for the place, but how would they know to give me that piece of information on that particular day before I'd even gone far enough to indicate that I was headed in that direction? <laughs> yeah. And uh, we couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I used GTalk. We could have texted like, oh, what are we doing this weekend? And it, it could be something as simple as what are we doing this weekend and her texting back. Uh, we should go to break. I, actually, I'm sure we did have that exchange over GTalk, mm. which is super abstract. Yeah, it is. It is. But meanwhile, Google's like, oh, they, you know, these two people indicated that they're doing, going to a particular place at a particular time. And as creepy as it was, it's really it was useful. A, it was exactly what I want. It was, I, it like predicted why I was opening my phone. And before I even got in there, I already had the information I needed without having to do anything. That's, that's both creepy and awesome. Yeah. So it's, and it's, you know, there's people flipping out. There's always people flipping out about privacy and stuff. And I, I mean, I think the, the end of the day, if services are giving you enough value from the, their, um, you know, the, the, the visibility that you grant to your data, then people are going to be cool with it. Yeah. Like AT&T knows everything about every phone call that I, you know, they know what call, you know, like people, it's not like no one has this information. Right. People have it, um, but they just ge don't generally act on it uh, in a way that's so visible to you. Yeah. I mean, your phone company has know, known who you call and how long you talk to them for forever. Yeah. Since phones were invented. Right. So, so the thing, so the point, so to tie this into the theme of the show, so building apps that run everywhere. So the, one of the big things about, um, thinking about developing stuff for the future and taking mobile first approaches, API first approaches, smart content, all, all of this stuff is that the interaction that I had with the phone, there, there wasn't one really. Yeah. I just opened it, you know, and it'd be easy to imagine, um, you know, I, I shouldn't, I, I, there was no input on my part at the time, at that time. Like I, I gave input, it, it, I gave it input in the past apparently <laughs> and it remembered that it was going to remind me something in the future, but there was no actual input at that time of the interaction on my part at all. No keyboard, no voice, no nothing. Uh, I'll have to let you know if I get some reminders or any kind of map or anything next week about our our little um little mini vacation because I got email confirmations on hotel rooms and, and what have you a couple of days ago. Mm -hmm. And you, but you're an iPhone person, but you do you use Google now on the iPhone? Uh no, I do not, but I I do have it on the Nexus Seven. Gotcha. You can get you can put it on the iPhone. Uh, it's and some people say it's even better on the iPhone. Hmm. Um for some things like check-ins and stuff. But yeah, you, if you get the Google search app, it's got Google now built into it. And, and I've looked at it before and I'm like, this is so boring. Like, <laughs> wow, my weather's here. I can get the weather a hundred ways on this phone. Like who cares? But it's not until you start really using it. Um, now it's like the first thing I, now it's like the, it's the first thing I do when I pick up the phone, I just like swoop, swipe up, get Google now. And, and, and now I've already, in within a couple of weeks, I've come to expect that it's going to tell me a bunch of things that that you're going to want to know. Right? Like I don't even know what I want to know, but I'm sure <laughs> when I open up Google now, it's going to have a bunch of stuff that I'm like, oh yeah, that's what I wish I knew. 
<laughs> how far am I from home? Uh, what's the weather? Uh, it, and like, what's going on around me? Like, what are events happening near me? Does it? Yeah. Does it tell you what Eric is cooking for dinner? It's like, so that's. I wouldn't be surprised if. Like, I feel like it could. Yeah. If she was googling recipes. <laughs> right. Right. And that that's an interesting thing, which is like. Is it just pulling information from my stream or f- from other people who are also that it knows your yeah yeah that I'm associated that I email with? I'm sure it is. I mean, they've got Google through Gmail has to have almost as big a social network or social graph as Facebook, yeah, if not bigger. Yeah, if not bigger. That's an interesting thought. Yeah, I mean, it's not like there's no interface for it, really. No, but I'm sure they have all that data behind the scenes. Sure, yeah, absolutely. They, it's obvious that they do because they've got that sort of, uh, what's it called, the important flag in Gmail. Yeah. The priority inbox. So, you know, it's crazy. So it's a lot of people have said this, um, like this Google I.O., the announcements that they, they had at this Google I.O., it was like clear that we ain't seen nothing yet. Like they're just getting started because it's like the pieces are falling together where they can create artificial intelligence, basically. Because they've got so much knowledge. Yeah, they've got, they've got so much data. Mm. So, uh, yeah, so the point of Google now is, like, for people who build apps, is to think about, if, you're, if you look at what Google now is doing, it's being super clever about, um, gathering input without you actually feeling like you're it's like it's so polar opposite of like filling out a form <laughs> <laughs> or even filling out a search request it's just it's just capturing information it's that's just falling off you yeah and and I think that is a trend that that is important direction it's important when you're developing applications to to not like constantly be assaulting the user for information just be like like figure it out dude you know what i mean it's like i'm i'm giving you all kinds of signals just figure it out or at least the ones that uh, you know you can yeah it just just kind of just kind of sits quietly in the background and listens yeah you know when you call like a, a customer service line and they make you type in your credit card number and then yeah. you get someone on the phone and then they ask you your credit card number it's like the opposite of that <laughs> 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 like if if I ever asked you for something, don't like your computer. Don't forget it, <laughs> you know. Right. So I think uh, so. That's one thing is that be super super smart about capturing and making the best possible use of any input that you can uh, to make things easier for the user and then or the person using your service. And the other thing is <laughs> um, the. Google now, from an output standpoint, is very, very interesting. Uh, it's got this card-based metaphor, and each of the cards are sort of like fall into a category. There's like map cards, and there's flight cards, and there's uh, there are all these different data card formats, and it translates really well to like a small phone screen. Uh, it in and or a pair of Google glasses. Yes, nice segue. Hey. <laughs> uh, Google Glasses. It works perfectly uh, as a, a card-based interface for Google Glass. Um, you know, because it's just this. You know, if you think about the the hardware of Google Glass, it's super sophisticated. It's like really cool. Look like at this little prism. You can see this tiny little screen. 
and you've got this touch uh, arm on the right hand, touch sensitive right arm on the glasses. But you know, there's no there's no good way to type. You know, it's like kind of a terrible uh, input gathering device if you're going to force mm-hmm. the user to constantly be inputting stuff. Like you couldn't type an SMS. That would be right. Yeah, like like even even the video I watched of the touch the little touch interface seemed like it would get really annoying to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so it's a big it's a big question. But if you think about if if you think about a, the future that Google is trying to create, where you don't have to actually give us any explicit input, you can just live your life. We will capture information that's falling off you. And then tell you what you probably needed, you probably would have searched for if you could type on these glasses, <laughs> you know. And it, it's it's really compelling. I mean, it's it's like uh, so the the glasses. So like a lot of people talking about the glasses, and they're saying like, okay, it'd be totally overwhelming if I was getting on my Facebook notifications, or if I had this long list of cards like you're saying, and I had to like. Swipe through them and swipe through them and swipe through them, and then I mean, all I'm getting is it's just getting annoyed, and this is distracting. Uh, so that's that's like a thing that you hear about a lot. Another thing, of course, that people say to knock it is that it's too geeky. You know, it's it, you look you look like the Borg, or people are going to be, uh, you know, calling you a glass hole for wearing them into the bathroom, or like yeah. the social implications of having a camera on your face. Right. I know you and I both don't give a crap about that, but <laughs> right. uh, I'm sure some people do in terms of just being embarrassed to, to, you know, that it looks weird. I mean, like people don't even want to wear regular glasses for, f- because they feel like they either don't look good or they're uncomfortable on their head. So why would you want to wear Google Glass? Yeah, my, my head already looks messed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really give a crap. And, and I think what's going to happen is if you look, watch a lot of these reaction videos, you you the the thing that i that i always notice is that when they take them like so like like robert scoble letting people use his his uh his pair and like i watched the all about android um podcast and they a couple of people had them and they let one of the other hosts try them on and there's two things that kind of happen when people just try them on mm-hmm. for a couple minutes they're like, wow, this is so cool. And then they get bored of it really fast. But then they take them off and they're like, I feel naked without that. <laughs> like I feel like I'm missing something. And I, th- I think that that last thing is going to be the thing that, that people are like, I don't care if I look stupid these things on because I feel like an idiot when I take them off. Right. I feel like I'm out of touch with my world. I'm disconnected. So, so anyway, so the, uh, so again, I guess to pull it back, the point is, um, for building apps that run everywhere, the, we always talk about building for the most constrained, you know, start small, build for the most constrained environment first. And it's tough to think of of an environment that's more constrained than Google Glass because you can't, you can't render much. There's almost no user input. You just have to be wicked smart on the server side. Yeah, yeah, and I think the the idea of paying attention to as much user input as you can to sort of create that those types of responses and information yeah, that's you know so the user is or the person <laughs> ahem, ahem, the wearer 
just yeah. providing <laughs> providing information constantly without having to actively input it. Right. And you know, maybe maybe you can only do that to a limited extent if you're not Google, but Yeah, but you better damn well <laughs> use whatever you can. Yeah, yeah. It's the same like yes. this is a, advice we've been giving uh just with, with mobile phones. Which seems so. Which to me seems so dated. They're starting to seem dated already. It's like ah. it is. But you know, if you have like a mobile website, and and or even a website at all, if you have a website at all, and uh, and I visit it on my phone because I'm looking for your closest retail location, and you make me type in my zip code, I be, it's like pathetic. Yeah. <laughs> Like, why would I have to type in my zip code? It's, another, it's especially, and so people might, you know, retailer, uh, <laughs> Staples, might think like, <laughs> oh, well, how it's so easy to type in your zip code. Well, not if you're traveling and you don't know what your zip code is where you are. Right. And you want to find the cl- closest Staples. My browser on desktop and virtually in like 90% of all smartphones in the market knows, knows where exactly are. where I am. So, and, and it's, it's like, it's like five lines of JavaScript to make it work. You know, like, just don't make me tell you where I am. And yeah. so it's this, it's the same principle. It's like, you've got, we've got, the smartphone is, in my opinion, 10 times more powerful than like a laptop. When you consider uh, all the sensors, it's just crawling mm-hmm. with sensors. It is. So, you know, laptop's got a keyboard, it's got a big hard drive and it's, you know, it's, Whatever doesn't matter to me. The phone is way more powerful because it has it's so much smarter. And I think something like Google Glass or or you know if Glass doesn't catch on, whatever it is, like Recon uh, announced the, this Jet glasses that are similar, very very similar in concept, but aimed specifically at athletes uh, and and have much richer user interface uh, in the in the screen apps you can build for it. Like this is going to happen. People are going to be wearing these things. I think there's a lot of etiquette stuff and, you know, the glass holes. And I, I think that's all silly. It's like we have, I mean, we already have so much etiquette around stuff like this that it's, I feel like it's going to be a no-brainer because. Yeah. Like you walk into a store, you, if you walk into a place with sunglasses on, you don't generally stand there and talk to someone with your sunglasses on unless you're a D-bag. Right, right, because it's rude. It's rude. You, you just put them on your head or. Like, I won't even go up to a cashier, and generally, almost never will I, will I go up to a cashier and order a coffee or something with my headphones in. Right. Because it gives, even if they're off, because it gives the impression that you're not paying attention to them. Right. And uh, I don't know. It's just, I just think all of, the, all of the social implications just are, I think, ridiculous. I don't know. I I do a lot of times have people come up. Well, not so much now because I'm not down there as often. But when I was when I was uh, working down at the, at the computer store more, and and Richard still has it happen a lot. People come up and like they'll come up to like to pick up their computer or to pay or something while they're on their cell phone. Oh yeah. And it's like it's a it's a tiny tiny store. It's like if you're in there, chances are. At that particular moment, you're the only person in there other than, like, one of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not saying there won't be people who are yeah. rude, but I- I'm saying that there will be very, it'll be, it's like one of those things that will work itself out. 
yeah. automatically. Like, like there are already tons of social mores that are very, very close to this. Mm-hmm. And it'll just be, it'll be a non-issue. I mean, yeah, I mean, someone can, if like, if, if you wanted to be, like, a jerk about it, you could pull out your smartphone and snap pictures in a bathroom. Yeah, I mean, I, video. I, yeah, every time, literally every time I go into the locker room at the gym, I have my phone out because I'm using right. it, I'm about to go on the Stairmaster or the treadmill or something. Everybody in there has their phone out. Like, you know, it's, so the, the I mean, granted, uh, there is already, people have already hacked the, uh, like, glass software so that you can wink to take a picture. So that mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a lot, you know, it would be a pretty obvious in a locker room if I was taking pictures of you with my cell phone. Yeah. It would be a lot less obvious if I could just blink at my, uh, you know, headset camera to take a picture. But, but it's, just, it's just, I don't know, it's just like a complete non-issue if you ask me. Because people, there will become like a, an automatic etiquette. Like, like when you, when I first started going to Starbucks a lot and the sort of shared work environment started to pick up and, and you know, the, the local Starbucks was just packed with regulars who were there every single day on their laptops all day. Mm-hmm. Like an etiquette grew up around, uh, using the plugs and like what tables you sat at and where you put your plug in and, um, and if you would use, like, it was total, it was a total no-no to use both, both sockets in an outlet yeah like you would never do that that would be so rude you know like you're sitting at a table where there's a limited number of electrical outlets and to plug in like your phone and your computer to charge on the wall would be like you're a jerk <laughs> yeah you know you don't do that yeah it's like taking up that. two seats on the train you <laughs> yeah. know or whatever and all of that stuff is just going to completely be a non-issue meanwhile congress is already calling like you know senators are already calling for like regulations around glass for privacy things not even out yet (laughs) it's ridiculous it's totally ridiculous but anyway um so the 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 thing with glass that relates to the podcast (laughs) (laughs) is that is uh, i guess the two things one is that it it's super incredibly like smart about um collecting input without bothering you and it's also super good at giving you context sensitive output it's basically google now on your face right that uh is super relevant it's what you would have searched for anyway and you know and it's just formatted perfectly for the situation so just very relevant um and it's not overly um you can't if you're programming for glass. You can't be like obsessed with layout. You know what I mean? Like the the sort of like the, the projects I've been working on, they're mobile web related. Mm-hmm. Customers are obsessed with with like these what I consider to be relatively silly layout intricacies. Yes. Which I shouldn't say that they're not silly. They're not silly. They're you know they're polishing up this interface, but it's silly when you consider that. They're making massive blunders in other areas and putting all of their focus on, like, like misplaced priorities. Yes, yes, yes. That's exactly what it is. It's like you know, like oh, this this these buttons are the black's a little too dark. Could you lighten up the? It's like, are you kidding me? You 
like your pages are taking 15 seconds to load and <laughs> you're worried about the shade of gray <laughs> the shade of black on yeah. a button you know it's like you got major problems here and and like the entire 20 people like the whole the t- room full of 20 people from the you know representing every department of the client are like debating what shade of black the button should be and it's like <sighs> You guys, you don't even have high-res images for your feature articles. <laughs> and I'm building you a slideshow. <laughs> and you're like, don't make the slideshow too big on the desktop because the images aren't good quality. <laughs> well, the problem is, like, get better images. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just crazy. It's crazy. So, yeah, I, like, I think polish is great. And, and obsessing over layout is a fine thing to do, but you need to keep it in perspective of the bigger picture. Yeah, it shouldn't be done in place of like, things like improving performance and and improving the content. Yeah, content. Yeah, it's oh man. So anyway, um and the other thing that I think is uh I think really important to understand and believe is that wearable computing is here now. And it's yes. going to get more popular, not less. Yes, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. So if your whole strategy is based around, you know, a, a 320 pixel wide, you know, mobile phone screen, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> it's like, that's what we do with the desktop. If we should have learned our lesson, you know, on the desktop, it's like, okay, the, the whole computing landscape is exploding into a million little bits of specialty, you know, devices. It can be all these different kinds of wearables for athletes and for uh, traveling sales, you know, like outside salespeople and business travelers and moms. And there's going to be a million different devices with a million different form factors and input and output mechanisms. So if you spend too much time optimizing for a particular one, you're going to be sorry. Yeah, you're you're missing out on a lot of opportunity there. That time and energy could be spent making it making it more more uh, more run everywhere ish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, more smart toastery. Yeah. So yeah, and then uh, that's probably plenty on Google Glass. But the uh, so something very interesting happened uh, tonight, as a matter of fact. Uh, that is related to one of the other announcements, which was the Google Voice Search on the desktop. Mm-hmm. So there's this new thing that they're calling hot wording or hot words, where um, it's sort of similar to uh, if you've seen videos for Google Glass, people say, "Okay, Glass, take a picture," or "Okay, Glass, do this," or "Okay, Glass, do that." Uh, the voice input, and so there's there that is enabled. Supposedly, I couldn't get it to work. But supposedly enabled in the current version of Chrome Desktop, uh, version twenty-seven. Really? You, yeah, you could say "Okay, Google," and it will start listening to you, and you you, you just say a search, and uh, it does it, uh, and and reads it back to you. So if you go to Google.com right now, you will see a microphone in the search field, and that's been there for a while. But supposedly, it appears not to be active, at least for me yet, but supposedly once you do that and grant access to it to, to give it that access to your microphone, 
you don't have to click the button anymore. And you can just say, okay, Google, search for, um, you know, pizza restaurants near me. And, and a lot of people, including me initially, were like, why would I voice search on my laptop when I've got this perfectly good keyboard right here? And, you know, I'm like, oh, it's kind of gimmicky, but it's cool that they can do it. And, and great. Until tonight. <laughs> <laughs> When I was trying, I was testing the OK Google feature, you know, the microphone's been there forever mm -hmm. and I never use it, but I was trying to get the OK Google feature working. And so we're, uh, I'm sitting at the counter and Cooper's sitting next to me for the dear listener, Cooper's three and doesn't know how to read or write, but he does know how to talk. And <laughs> as soon as he saw that, it was like, he took to it like fish to water. He was like search for garbage truck pictures, bang, <laughs> list of garbage trucks comes up, click, right into the one that he wanted. Nice. Like, I was like, oh, wow. All of a sudden, a laptop, which, you know, the primary input uh, mechanisms are abstracted away from the content, where you've got, you know, you've got keyboard and mouse that, you know, you move something over here to move something over there. So You know what I mean? And uh, it, it is it's very unintuitive to people who haven't grown up with it. So, you know, like you just look around, there's kids everywhere using touchscreens interface very easily because it's such a natural uh, human thing to just like directly interact with some virtual object. And so, so all of a sudden I was like, whoa, a whole generation of kids who don't yet know how to read or write are going to start off with even on laptop computers, by talking to them. Yeah. Which is, like, all of a sudden, this, like, you know, $1,000 piece of equipment that was utterly useless to him five minutes ago now became, like, completely usable for the stuff that he wants to do. That's really cool. Yeah. I was, like, it was, like, a, like a revelation. I was, like, holy crap. And so if you think about it, anybody, I, I don't know what the percentage of the planet is illiterate, but all of a sudden those people can use Google for like video and image search. Yeah, so can all the quadriplegics. That too. I mean, it's rad. It's totally rad. It's freaking Star Trek. <laughs> Computer, calculate, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um Google's Google's next phone they're gonna put out is gonna be made of transparent aluminum. <laughs> Want? It's not. It's gonna be. So the thing is, like the device, the computer. I, like I heard someone talking about, like, you know, Google's making. They said something about um, the computer. They were talking about advances to the computer, and they meant the computer in your lap. But Google's not thinking of it like that, and neither. I think are we. I know I'm not. I'm not. That, that's not the computer. The computer is the entire internet, and the interface into that computer, the one giant computer, is going to take a billion little forms, because yeah. the the connection is what is important, not the not the shade of black on the button, on a particular user interface on a particular device. That's just like absurd at this point. So, it, and man, you know, we've, we've talked about this 
forever and ever about how there's just like oodles and oodles of new input and output scenarios cropping up that, uh, and this is a, this voice search on the desktop is a great one because it's not immediately apparent why it would be useful at all because to the, the bulk of the population it's totally useless but there is a significant percentage of the population who it is game changing for yeah and i think that we're just going to see more and more of these little um you almost want to call them like like vertical specific or like like subject matter specific um io uh approaches i don't even know what to call it there's going to be like uh for every different situation There'll be a different input method. Yeah, it'll be so cheap to come up with like a very custom way to to uh, to interact with the big computer, the one gigantic computer. That'll be worth doing it because like a small optim, you know, it's like spend you know a couple of bucks for some chips and put together like maybe cobble together a hundred bucks worth of parts into something that's highly specific to skiers or whatever. And right. bang, all of a sudden you have a product. You throw it on Kickstarter and, and you get funding and and just do it, you know. It's, it's completely radical. So for people who are building apps, which are kind of windows into content and services, it's like get that infrastructure. Now is your chance to get your infrastructure squared away. Get your content all cleaned up so it can show up in a Google Glass or Google Now card or it can show up on a... 30-inch cinema display equally well, and people can interact with it on any kind of device from the command line or from you know a native app or from JavaScript or from anywhere, anywhere, basically anything that supports HTTP communications or network communications. It's like if you don't do like <laughs> I don't know how people are gonna if if people aren't working on that if you dear listener are not working on this now. <laughs> Someone's gonna eat. You're gonna miss out. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna miss out. Yeah. It'll be there's. There'll still be a a long time, and in a lot of cases, where rendering HTML is gonna be the the main thing to do, and and exceedingly important, and and probably the main way you get your information across to to um your customers or people people reading your your blog or that kind of thing, but. There's there's so many other different avenues cropping up. Like there's more and more every day that you, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna miss out on a lot. Yeah. And so the thing is, now is the time to to start this initiative. So if you're like a CIO listening to this, as like I talk to people all the time, and they're just like, they you know, like I said, I won't rehash it. They're just like totally missing the boat. They're making the same mistake over again which is that they're making device-specific websites, for example. And, like, now, mobile phones are sort of open up the door to, like, oh, my God, we've we made a mistake with, like, all these, you know, 960-pixel-wide websites, fixed-width websites. Uh, and, like, so marketing departments and IT departments have, like, freed up budget to, um, to retool or well, hopefully to retool for mobile, but uh, in a lot of cases, what they're doing is just building a freestanding mobile website. And when then tablets became or, or becoming extremely popular, 
and it's like you know the fastest growing uh, consumer electronics device in history is the iPad, and it's just like growing way faster adoption wise than the iPhone ever did, and you know it's like you just can't. It's like this is your chance to like not miss the boat. You know what I mean? Yeah. You probably have budget. You you probably understand the motivation, but it's like it, this is just the tablets and the phones are just the first. That's like the leading edge. It's like the warning shot. I always say it's the warning shot in the wireless revolution. It's like it's not about mobile. It's not about um, smartphone revolution. It's like this overall concept of wireless in general is what's is what's really going to drive the change for the next like 10 years. Right. And I mean, I mean just look at what we've got now. I mean, you've got you've got lights and we've got wristbands and and there's glasses coming out and watches and I've got things that clip on my shoe and you. Know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's real. It's here. Like it's people have been talking about it and talking about it. You know, Internet of Things. I've been hearing Internet of Things for at least five, ten years. Probably, probably five to seven years. I've been hearing Internet of Things, but it's in my house now. Right. You know, it's not like some. It doesn't seem like it is. It seems like I have an up band, and it seems like I have, you know, some some fancy light bulbs, and it seems like I have this fancy uh, remote control for the TV. But these things are all connected to the internet, and. It's not just it's not just fancy lights anymore, you know. It's like it's not just a gadget. It is an extension of the one giant computer, and it's a big, big deal. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I mean, I say all the time to provoke conversation. I say that it's gonna it's gonna change every aspect of society, and and I I really. I think this sounds maybe less crazy than it did when I first started saying it, but it's going to redefine what it means to be human because all sorts of things that you and I grew up as just like that had, uh, that we considered normal and that was, that there were tons of very powerful social mores around, like cheating on mm-hmm. a test is the one I always think of. Like yeah. cheating on a test was like, that was like bad, that was bad, that was like stealing. You know, that's really bad. But in the future, everything's going to be like cheating on a test. (laughs) Like, like what would possibly be the point of memorizing something that you could easily access from a, a chip that's on your glasses? What would be the point? It's like, it's like when you, um, you know, like advanced physics students are allowed to have calculators, you know, because <laughs> yeah. the the point isn't can you do the math at that point. The point is can you achieve some goal, and it's almost like you know, sort of uh, what is it, Harrison Bergeron? It's like why handicap students by forcing them to disconnect from like this primary source of information? It is so. It is. I'm kind of kind of going off in the weeds here, but the concept is. Let the computers do the stuff that computers are awesome at Mm -hmm. and test the kids on stuff that only humans are good at. Right, right. I mean, on on the one hand, there's this part of me that says, oh, giving giving someone access to all this information, then they're never going to learn it because they'll just be able to look it up. But the more information you have access to, the more other stuff you can learn and the more stuff you're exposed to, the more 
more creative thinking and and innovative thinking you can you can do <laughs> yeah like like basically the the product of human beings is going to be creativity and love and like all these really squishy specifically human things compassion yeah. you know like st- stuff that you can't humor you know like things that that um it basically all boils down to creativity and you know the humans will always be a step ahead of the computers because you won't be able to program stuff until like the stuff that gets programmed is the stuff that you just figured out you know what i mean so there'll always be this like leading edge of stuff only humans can do and then they'll program it into the computers but then the computers can do that and we can focus on something else that only we can do you know so so like what you said before about you know they'll never learn this stuff like what like what does it mean to know something like, if you, like, I don't know your phone number, but I have instantaneous access to it, right? So, like, what's the difference? I know how to get your phone number if I need it in less than a second. Does that mean I don't know it? No, it means it just means you have access to it. You know how to organize the information where you can get to it when you need it. Yeah, well, I mean, it is, it is, I think it's fair to say it is literally true that we are outsourcing pieces of our brain to the internet i think it's literally true i mean not not our physical not, like not in a physical sense but in a literal sense where huge pieces of my business for example i don't have stored in my head right they're all online like if you know god for like if i lost access to my gmail history for example uh, yeah i would be hurting i'd be hurting yeah it's less bad than it would have been in the past, but like, and like things like Dropbox, Dropbox covers my, like, really potentially save my bacon like crazy because it's the perfect kind of no brainer redundant storage that is perfect. You know, it's like, like I could, you know, drop my laptop under a bus. I could, you know, like, Dropbox could go out of business, but it would still be locally on like, like five machines in my yeah. house. Yeah. So. It, it, there's just so much. There's just it's just so huge that we can't even like we are living through a time that is radical. So, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> the point of the episode is that Google is well aware of this and has been planning this from the very beginning. And I would say, with the announcements from Google I/O uh, and the the stuff that they're making work at scale, in real time, it, they are the, like Facebook's a joke, like uh, people, people were like, oh, you know, Facebook is eating Google's lunch, and it, no. 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 Google has got such a lead on everybody. It's, I mean, somebody, I, I saw a quote, like that Google is, Google, with this, uh, the announcement at I.O., Google has established itself as the most important company on the planet, and I don't think that's an exaggeration. I feel like I feel like the big ones are not like when it comes to when it comes to like the the game changers and the people that are the companies that are going to make the the really big difference in in the internet and in computing and and the way we do everything. Um, to me, Facebook isn't even on that list. Yeah, like like that list to me is in 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 order. That list is Google and then Amazon. Yep, totally. Apple's not even on the list. No. <laughs> they make phones. 
They make they make nice hardware. That's it. Yeah, I mean, like Google, Amazon, totally agree. And then it'd be there'd be some payments one. There be has to be a payments one on there. Be like PayPal or Square. I think Stripe. Stripe, Maybe. yeah. And then it and you know if you're and if we're talking pure pure like tech tech like we normally talk, but if we were talking like like everything, like bio is freaking me out. Like the bio stuff and the robotic stuff is super mm. super scary. <laughs> <laughs> that stuff freaks me out. So, but if you're just talking pure like bits, just pure like like computer software people. Yeah, absolutely agree. Google and Amazon are owning it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's funny. I actually realized the other day a large, a very large percentage of the money I spend online goes to Amazon. Oh, yeah, yeah, please. Like, I, if something's not on Amazon, it's, it doesn't exist to me. Yeah. It doesn't exist. Like, I don't need it that bad. <laughs> I'm not going to enter my... I, I literally I saw this, these gorgeous, like, travel bags today. Mm-hmm. They're like, you know, they were a little bit pricey, but I travel enough that I was like, man, those would be, those would be a pleasure to own and use. Yeah. And I, I, I was like, they're not on Amazon. And I was like clicking around. It was like this, you buy them from this Japanese site. And I was like, give me a break. I'm not like type. I'm not going to pull out my credit card. I don't need them that bad. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a statistic the other day that 98% of shopping carts on mobile are abandoned. Wow. That's Nine, really high. 98. It could hardly be higher. <laughs> yeah. If you like the opportunity, I don't know how we got into this, but the opportunity in mobile for e-commerce is, is like jaw dropping. Yeah. If you can do like one click. Yeah. If you can figure out, if you can figure out, if you can smooth your, checkout process at all there's like so much upside just start taking paypal for christ's sakes like to get over the get amazon over the, payments yeah any of them like get over yeah the new google wallet announcements there's like all sorts of stuff happening here but it's like get over the like i don't why should i pay paypal two percent it's like because you're losing 98 percent of your sales on mobile and it's whether it's PayPal or Stripe or something else, like figure it out, man. That's just like just throwing away money. But could we change the color of this button? It was a little <laughs> make it a little blacker. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. pop. It needs to pop. <laughs> That's only sixteen pixels at the bottom of the page. There should be twenty-four. <laughs> Actual conversation I had before. Ugh. I saw a. I saw a, uh, what the heck was it? It was, I think it was uh, Priceline. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was one of those. They, I don't know if we talked about this, but they removed a single field from their checkout form, an optional field for company name. Mm-hmm. They removed that single field and it increased their sales overnight by $6 million. Wow. Because they they were looking at uh, abandoned carts, and they noticed that people were typing, uh, they'd type first name, last name, and then they'd start typing whatever the next field was into the company name field by accident. Mm. And then they'd keep going all the way down the form, 
and then realized and then, that they were off by one the whole way. Right, and then they just wouldn't fix it they because they typed they, it all on the phone. They'd be so pissed. They just yeah. they just leave. And they literally just removed an optional field and it was I think it was six million dollars overnight. Wow. That they that they got. Uh, you know, in like not lost sales. And then they were like, uh, is there anywhere else we can remove something? <laughs> yeah. And so they went through and, and they identified 60 places in the checkout process where they could remove optional things. Wow. 60. I mean, think about a typical typical airline checkout. Yeah. It's like, it's it's right up there with the worst of the checkout Here's processes. Your, your credit card, please give us your ID information. Do you yeah. want a hotel? Do you want a rental car? No Do you want a hotel number, and a rental car? How about redress. some coupons? For, yeah. yeah, on and on and on and on. It's like registering a domain with GoDaddy. <laughs> yeah, with less underwear. It's like, yes. uh, it's, it's like, you know, and the funny thing is, all that stuff's on there ostensibly to make the money. They're like, oh, we've got all these like, Got all these extra things like on upsells, here. Yeah. yeah, upsells, right? And it's like, yeah, but you're losing your main sale because of it, <laughs> right? I don't know. It's like to me, it's just old school thinking. Whatever, we're way, way off track. <laughs> but uh, way, way off track, and we're an hour and a half. Yeah. Have fun editing. Yeah, exactly. All right, dear listener, I think we've punished you enough for one week. <laughs> <laughs> That's our show for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. I'm Kelly Shaver. And we hope you join us again next week for the Niche Podcast. Bye. Bye.